in the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. Stewart with time. Let's it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Take a shot downfield. And it was in by Bryce Bobo. What a one-handed catch. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucott to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted. Colorado got it. Witherspoon. With the biggest play in Colorado football for years. Oliver takes it, has a big one already, he's got room here, Isaiah Oliver cuts it back, punter to beat, he does, he'll take it, touchdown! Welcome into a new Buff Stampede radio out of Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, a 37-3 victory and... There's a lot to be disappointed with. The, the expectations with this football program have, have changed. For sure. I mean, it's a good feeling to win 37-3 to and be disappointed. <laughs> I'll say that for sure. We haven't had that feeling in a while. But, yeah, I mean, it was ugly. 14 points at halftime. One, and one pretty much on a fluke punt return. You know, it's, you know, luck would be a kind way of putting it. I mean, you, you should be scoring points <laughs> on punt returns where you fumble. Uh you know, the offense looked really out of sync. A lot of missed deep balls. A lot of available wide receivers that didn't make catches. You know, uh, Montez looked pretty rough throughout most of the first half. Phillip Lindsay didn't get it going. The offensive line did not do a great job of protection. You know, defensively, though, hard to really complain outside of that first play of the game where they gave up 55, 60 yards, something like that. 55, uh, yeah. Yeah, ended up not giving up points on that drive. It's kind of the staple of this defense at this point. Ben, don't break. They don't give up a ton of points in the red zone for the second year in a row, it doesn't look like. So from that perspective, that side of the ball, they looked really good. Offensively, though, they definitely have some work cut out for them. I don't think Texas Tech is a good football team. Don't get me wrong here. Uh, but I, I don't think they're going to finish in the cellar of the Sun Belt. They actually have some players, some playmakers at receiver. Those linebackers were yeah. uh, as good as advertised. So uh, they should have won that football game by more, but – I do think Texas State is actually better than some people gave them credit. Gave a lot of us gave them credit as they were coming out. Yeah, I mean, I think they're better than last year, for sure. I mean, they were one of the worst teams in football. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. It's a team that we struggled with quite a bit, still won by 34, and I don't think they played horribly. So that's you know, I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to make a bowl. I don't think that's probably going to happen, but they're improved. Uh, we've got to play better. There's no doubt about that. Uh, as we move forward, we got Washington coming up here in a couple of weeks, and uh, they need to get the ball rolling a bit. Bryce Bobo, another one-handed grab. He hits the 100-career catch mark on Saturday. This is the first time the Buffs have had three players with 100 catches at the same time. Part of that is the, the way football's evolved. You pass the ball mm-hmm. a lot more than you used to. This is, I mean, you go historically, not going to be their greatest receiver unit, but it's certainly a, a, a pretty good collection of talent. They've been here a while. I mean, a lot of these guys have been playing, especially Shea, uh, Devin Ross, too, because he just gets a lot of balls, um, have been 
getting a lot of reps since they were freshmen, sophomores. Bryce obviously came out a little bit later. I was surprised, honestly, that he had 100 catches already. So that's pretty cool for him. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not every day you have three senior wide receivers, period, let alone your top three guys that play a ton. So, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing to keep in mind for this team, like something you're not going to be able to see every day. These guys are maybe a little bit undervalued at times uh, in what they've done for this program. So it's nice to see them get some accolades. What's funny, too, is Bryce Bobo dropped a ball later. He, he made the mistake of trying to catch it with two hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does definitely seem that way sometimes for him. He makes all the tough ones look so easy that it's he drops one. Uh, that was a great pass, and right in the hands, and he just dropped it. And I was like, what? How does that even happen? Yeah. Kudos to Leo Jackson, a three-sack performance, which when you're running a, a three-down front, mm-hmm. it's pretty hard to get three sacks. Definitely. Uh, he looks more agile than I remember in years past, for sure. He's gained a good amount of, of mass. He's, he looks good, man. I like. We talked about he's probably going to be our best D lineman. I uh, still probably feel that way. Uh, he, I think he's going to be serviceable even throughout conference play for us. He, he's uh, taken on a senior leadership role and seems to be doing a pretty good job. I've been very critical of them putting Isaiah Oliver in the punt return role. Uh, But in terms of him defensively at cornerback, I mean, he's basically toying with quarterbacks at this point. Do you Mm -hmm. think there's going to be a point – there's got to be a point this season in which other teams just stop trying to test him, right? I would think it's going to happen pretty quickly in Pac-12 play. I mean, if he shuts down Washington's wide receivers, if you're somebody else, why would you even throw at him? You know, I think pretty much he's going to get matched up on Dante Pettis as much as they can. Um, and if he wins that matchup, yeah, I think Trey Udofia is going to be the guy getting a lot of balls thrown his way the rest of the year. He's done a good job so far. I think he knows that, though. You know, like he's got Isaiah Oliver next to him. He's going to be the one getting picked on. He's going to make some mistakes. And I think he's cool with that. I think the staff is cool with that, too, which is important. I mean, they know that he's get, this is going to happen, and I think they're going to stay positive with him because they're going to have to. I mean, he's a freshman. Yeah. He's going to get beat. There's a lot of really talented wide receivers in the Pac-12. It is what it is, and they're not going to be throwing a ton across the field. The defense, speaking of them, uh, this is the first time since 1958 that CU has not given up a touchdown through two games, um, and they're most likely going to get Nick Fisher back this week. Uh, we got a mailbag question about this, but I think you got to find a role for Nick Fisher now that he's back. I don't think you can put him as a starter over anybody that's been out there. Again, through two weeks, not giving up a touchdown. Yeah. Don't mess with that. that He'll group. be out there. I mean, on special teams, he's certainly going to help. He's yeah. pretty good in that role at the very least. I know McIntyre commented on some special teams breakdowns that teams haven't taken advantage of yet. You feel like Nick Fisher could probably help out in that role at some point. Um, he'll play. I mean, I don't think Worthington's going to be out there every play. Ryan Muller probably won't either. They'll, they'll find a spot to get him accustomed. They're going to need him in conference play at some point probably, so you got to get him some snaps, whether it be, you know, if we're up 35-0 in the second quarter or in the fourth quarter, whatever it may be, um, something like that, where they just put him in there in the second unit just to get him more comfortable. I think that would be big for him. Northern Colorado set to make the trek from Greeley. They were scheduled to play Florida last weekend, and they were going to get a nice 625 thousand dollar payout of course hurricane irma uh, threw a wrench in those plans that game was canceled this is going to be the first meeting between these two teams since 1934 um, you, you look back at unc and it's historically not they don't have a lot of great history but they did make a run back in the mid-90s back-to-back ncaa division two championships under joe glenn obviously he later went on to coach at wyoming they moved up to the big sky conference in 2006 and they're now in their seventh season under Ernest Collins Jr. It's funny, Ernest Collins Jr. gave a speech at the 6-0 Strength Award Ceremony uh, for all the high school kids this winter. 
and Ryan Konigsberg and Jake Shapiro from BSN were there too. And we were all ready to commit to that dude after his <laughs> speech. It was really well done. It sounds like he had built the program the right way. I mean, they really struggled early on. They went a combined nine and thirty-six in his first four seasons, but they've gone thirteen and ten, so a lot more respectable here the last two plus seasons. So it's good to see him have success there. Uh, their starting quarterback, Jacob Nip, is somebody that I saw play when he was in high school at Roston Valley in Arvada. Nothing amazing, but he's a pretty efficient quarterback. Had a really efficient game in the opener as the Bears defeated College of Idaho 41-14. to uh, Anything about this team scare you at all? Uh, not really. Uh, you know, no disrespect to them or anything, but this is going to be another game where we're kind of worrying about ourselves, taking care of the issues that we've had. Uh, you know, I think it's cool for the state. It's crazy that they haven't played since 1934. If we're going to play one to play opponents, I think Northern Colorado should be the one we play more than anybody, honestly. It's good yeah. for them. You know, and you want the, the smaller schools in the state to get some recognition, too. I think it's important, you know, for in-state recruiting. It's nice for these guys to get to play on a big stage. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's cool. I, I, most people in Colorado, I feel like, root for Northern Colorado when they can. Just, you know, they want to see them play better. I know when Tad was at Northern Colorado, a lot of people were really high in their basketball program. So it'd be good to see the football program get there, too. I mean, you want to see everybody in Colorado do well. Yeah, I'd say it would almost be fun to schedule CSU Pueblo. But John Riston, that's a pretty good program. Maybe you don't want to schedule those guys. Yeah, there's not a lot, not a, there's a lot of risk, not a lot of reward for that one, for sure. Yeah. So I get to Folsom Field on Saturday, and I take a picture of the Ralphie statue and just say, you know, any Saturday in Boulder is a great day or something like that, something corny. <laughs> and I start getting all these, like, notifications from people that are frustrated at their non-conference schedule and the lack of opponents. And it's like, listen, people. This is not the non-conference schedule that they wanted this year. They scheduled Arizona State and Oregon because you're scheduling so far out with these future schedules. As you see now, they're announcing games, what, in like 2028 right yeah, now? Yeah, it's usually 9 to 12 years in advance. Oh. Uh, so obviously we weren't in the Pac-12 9 to 12 years ago, yeah. but we can't play these opponents. And we, I guess we could, but that yeah. seems terrible. <laughs> and CU had even lined up San Jose State as a replacement for Arizona State, uh, but the Spartans backed out of that game in 2015. So you're, you're kind of scrambling at this point to get opponents. Yeah. yeah, I mean, people don't realize that if you have three or four years before the game, that's still you're way behind the eight ball because everyone else has scheduled out a decade yeah. in advance. There's not a lot of available options. And even if there were, it's just kind of annoying. Like we play a good non-conference schedule every single year, and the one time we don't, we're going to complain about it now? Like this is what SEC non-conference schedules look like every single season. Yeah. The one year where we don't have a big-name opponent, people are going to cry and tell us that we're soft and that we don't schedule tough opponents. It's like, all right, well, look at their next 12 years of our schedule right. and really try to tell me that's true. I would say they're borderline. They've, they've scheduled too difficult the next 12 years. Yeah. I think. I mean, the perfect situation for me is you play a greater five, an FCS, and then another power five. But there's years where they're going to be playing two power fives with that nine-game conference schedule. To me, that's that's too difficult. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see where they are, in, you know, in the program. I mean, it's one of those where if you're a national title contender, does it could potentially ruin your chance of getting there? Or if it works out for you and you beat 11 teams in power conference schedules, it can really buoy you as the year goes on. Yeah. Um, you know, and it prepares you for Pac-12 play as well. So if they're good enough, I think it'll be it'll work out. But I mean, if it's a team that's trying to make a ball game every year, it's going to make it difficult for sure. Speaking of SEC schools and, and soft schedules, it annoys me when they schedule those FCS opponents like in week 11 yeah. when you know the depth is the 
biggest issue for those right. FCS teams, and those teams are like dead at that point. That that always gets under my. Well, skin. It's just really a bye. It's just another yeah. bye week for all the SEC schools late in the year as they beat each other up. It's pretty frustrating. I agree. I don't really like that. There should be a limit on when you can play those teams. I totally. think. Going back to CU, Kyle Evans is expected back in the mix this year, which makes it look even more likely now that Donovan Lee is going to redshirt and be able to come back next year. Because at this point, you're almost wondering how you can get Kyle Evans on the field because you have that healthy Michael Atkins and Bo Bisharat has developed quite a bit. So I'm not sure. Where would your preference be there? If Kyle Evans is like he was last year, would you rather see them go back to that or continue to try to get Michael Adkins uh, in, in a groove offensively? Well, they're different players, so I think there's space for both of them. I think Bo Bisharad is probably going to be the guy that's left out more often than not. They're going to use him in some situational packages, but the actual carries, I think, are going to go down. You know, Michael Adkins, they'll use more as a spell for Philip, Lin- Philip Lindsay. Kyle Evans, I think you could see, be a little more of a scat-back type of role. Uh, not a ton of carries, maybe some catches in the backfield, some swing passes, things like that. Uh, I think they're going to bring him in slow. I mean, it's hip injury is difficult to come back from at times. I think it's going to take him a little while to get going. So it wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't play a ton this week, honestly. Just try to get him back in the fold a little bit. Another guy you can throw out there on special teams as well. And uh, Nate Landman became the seventh true freshman to see action this season. Only played three snaps. You kind of had to play either him or Van Deest. What were your thoughts on him getting his first action? I think from the beginning of the year, we saw that he was probably the most physically ready uh, in terms of, and also mentally ready. His diagnosing place, he knew what he was doing out there more than the other two guys, which is, you know, someone's going to step up there. Honestly, like to see Van Deest redshirting. I think he has a chance to be really special for us down the line. And I would like to see him, he's had a lot of injuries in the past few years, get him, get him fully right get him maybe 10 to 15 pounds heavier if we can, and let him explode on some people as he gets older. Um, Landman was, I think, just a little bit ahead in terms of being ready to contribute immediately. So I think it's the right choice. I'm sure John's disappointed in some way, but when he's a senior, I think he'll really appreciate it. Yeah, and even academically, you look at how they get these guys to get their undergraduate in three and a half years. If you redshirt, you're getting a jump start at a master's mm-hmm. degree, which is, is huge as well. You definitely didn't want to see both those guys play. And who knows, if they start getting injuries there, they might have to. But definitely, if you can bring Jonathan Van Dees as a fifth-year senior, I think by that point he's going to be a stud mm-hmm. as a, in terms of an inside pass rusher. Blake Stinstrom, the Colorado Buffalo's 2018 quarterback commit, returned to action out at a game they played. Atlanta Greater Christian. Valor, they... they schedule these random games. I yeah, guess. I don't know anything about Atlanta Greater Christian. I, I should have looked to see So before that game, they were ranked a little bit higher nationally than Valor, and now, it's, of course, it's okay, flipped because so, Valor won the game. Yeah, so, I mean, they're nationally recognizable. I didn't know if it was just having to be a team from Atlanta that they went to go play. Yeah, it's it's so, not like the number one team in the state or anything like that. Right, though. I got you. So, but, I mean, you know, really efficient four touchdowns yeah. coming back off injury you know that's a pretty solid performance especially traveling that far it's a good sign for him yeah it's great to see if anybody saw the season opener and him being lifeless on the field briefly that was a scary moment he said basically what happened and you can check out my tracking the the future article that's up that i, I got some quotes from blake about it as he was unconscious on the field and by the time he got up he said he felt normal and never had any headaches so the best possible outcome that you could possibly have in that situation I had a chance to talk to Sam Neuer after practice on Wednesday. 
just uh, talk a little bit about him getting his first action. Here's that interview. Sam, what was it like uh, getting that first game experience in a Division One football game? You know, it was just what I expected. You know, I mean, definitely had a little bit of nerves, but for the most part, I was really excited. And when I when I was taking my first steps out there, you know, just looking around, it was definitely a, I was, I was, it was, it was a good feeling for sure. So it was exciting, and uh, you know, it was just good to get the feet wet. I was talking with Brian Lindgren on Monday. He said that if you had just a little bit more protection on that first play, you actually had Juwan Winfrey deep. Uh, uh, was that frustrating? Was that just kind of eye-opening of how quickly things, you know, the bucket can collapse at this level? I mean, it was frustrating. I honestly, like, though, after after I got hit, uh, so I sort of stood up and I, I laughed a little bit just because I haven't got hit in a few years. And, and, and it, I mean, it's, it's going to sound weird, but it felt good just to get, you know, my first hit in and, and over with. But obviously, you know, I want to throw touchdowns, but, um, you know, it just didn't happen. So, you know, trying to go get another one the next play. When Steven Montez got thrown in the Michigan game last year, he admitted that he wasn't as prepared as maybe he should have been. Did you talk to him about kind of this, what this role is like and get any advice from him just because he had gone through it last year? Yeah, we've talked about it. I mean, uh, you know, my, what sort of he, he told me is just to be ready at any time. And, you know, I, I get that advice from every, all, everybody, really. I mean, uh, you know, it's my, my uh, preparation, you know, I just try to prepare like I'm the starting quarterback going into every game. And each week, that's sort of how I prepare. So uh, that's, that's sort of my mindset. And so when I, if I do uh, get thrown in the fire, then I'm ready. So that interview was super short because Mike McIntyre was starting his address to the media and I had to rush over there. Sam's a, a very charismatic kid. I had a lot more stuff that I wanted to talk to him about. So we'll try to get him on another interview. Um, he gets out there, and Brian Lindgren said he had Jawan Winfrey deep on his first play, but he gets hit right as he's trying to throw the ball. That's a bummer. Yeah, um, both of those guys I want to see get more playing time. Jawan Winfrey really deserves to come back healthy and have himself a good game down the line, so I truly hope that happens. I would like... You know, at the risk of there being a quarterback controversy, I'm doing quotes over here. Um, I want to see Neuer play really well too, because I think he's a good player that a lot of people are sleeping on. Uh, I'm not looking forward to the rhetoric when that happens, but I think Montez will get going too. Uh, hopefully, we can see both of those guys play a ton this week and uh, give us some highlights. That'd be fun. All right, let's jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag. We're going to start with a question by Darth Snow. Is CU's paid media blowing smoke about the offense at this point? Welk's article about the offense being just fine after the last game smelled of desperation to me. <laughs> Neil Welk, great guy, does a good job there, but he his, he's employed by the university, yeah. um, and you're certainly going to slant things towards the positive. Um, I think Neil, and I don't want to speak for him, but I would imagine he is just saying, look, it's only two games in. I've seen this offense and practice every day they're going to be really good so don't push the panic button I, I would think that's kind of yeah. his angle but on the other side of that I, I agree with Darth Snow, Darth Snow in the sense of don't insult my intelligence don't tell me there's a, a four quarter stretch in which you've punted the ball more than points scored that clearly right. is leaves some concern yeah yeah I mean I think Neil's overwhelming point is right in that there's a lot of time to get this figured out. They looked better in the second half, so let's see where they move from here. But to say there's nothing wrong is not accurate. Um, I don't. I don't think it's desperation. That's not the word that I would have used. Right. I think you know, like his job obviously is to slant the team in a positive light, and I understand that. You know, he's going to have some negative stuff to say too. It's not all positive, but yeah, I mean, there's there's both sides of the argument here. There's a lot of time to get it figured out. We already talked about how Montez is going to be inconsistent at times. We all know this. But to say that there's nothing wrong and there's nothing to be concerned about, 
is a little bit too far for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can say that you still think there's a lot of time to go, but they definitely need to improve. I didn't see a lot of that from that article. That's how I probably would have wrote it. I'm not scared or completely worried at this point, but they're not quite as sharp as I think most people were yeah. expecting and even I was expecting as well. If they put together another rough half like that, though, yeah. I think that you have to be really concerned going into Pac-12 play on yeah. the offense. I don't expect that to happen, though. Yeah, I think, I think they'll be better than they were in the first quarter and even the second quarter of Texas State for sure. Uh, if they could look like they did in the second half of that game in both halves... I'm not going to say we're beating Washington based on that, but I am going to say they're starting to get in the right direction, which is what you want. OC Buff Freak asked, This Buffs team hasn't looked great on offense since the Washington State game. Has the Buffs play calling become predictable? <laughs> well, well, you want to be predictable against De Texas State. Right, yeah. That's kind of why I'm giggling a little bit. Yeah, I think the goal is to be predictable at this point in the year with based on who they're playing. You can't show your cards against an opponent like Texas State. So there is some of that, too. So some of the concern about the offensive play calling, they're holding some stuff back. I can pretty much guarantee you that. What it is, I don't know. But they will open it up a little bit. They have the personnel to be able to do that. Last year's offense was definitely predictable. There was a reason for that. There's limitations on what you can run with Cepho. I think we all know that. Um, and Montez, there's going to be some limitations too. But I think you'll see it. Once they get comfortable and Montez starts to see what's going on in the field and he's comfortable in the pocket, that kind of stuff, you'll see him open it up a bit. Two OC buff freaks point, I would say in the Alamo Bowl, that's where you were, had to be really frustrated because mm -hmm. – you had to know that Oklahoma State was going to be ready for that Cephalufau short yards package, and you needed to have a plan B in that football game, and they didn't. They just kept going back to the well over and over again, and it just yep. was coming up dry every time. That much was frustrating. I mean, go, going back to the Washington State game and the Utah games, I mean, that package was what basically won them those games, right? Yeah. So it was fine to be predictable then. Um, and against CSU, they were vanilla more so than I thought they were going to, which to me, I think says that they didn't really respect them a whole bunch, right? Well, right. I mean, if we continue to see them be vanilla throughout the year, it obviously shows concerns about what Montez is capable of doing as a quarterback. I don't expect that to happen. Um, so for now, yeah, I mean, I think the, the expectation is we can beat these guys. Let's not show our hand too much if we don't have to. But if, we, if it's continually, okay, we're not really doing much on offense, then you have to start being concerned with what's going on in that quarterback locker room that, that they think they can only use half the playbook or whatever. Yeah. Next question from VinBuffFan33. What will Nick Fisher's role be when he comes back? I would figure it would be hard to sit Evan Worthington. We kind of touched on that earlier. Worthington, his versatility out there with Muller's versatility, that is – so valuable you can't yeah. take you can't take either of those guys off the field but maybe in stretches you rotate Fisher in there yeah I mean I think they'll all play Worthington's like a different guy I don't know if he just changed his last name and all of a sudden became much faster or what but man he's way different player than he was even when he was respectable as a freshman before getting in all that yeah. trouble so yeah he's been we thought that he would have a pretty good year he has definitely exceeded expectations though he's been really fun to watch so far you could almost, aside from Isaiah Oliver, could you make an argument that Evan Worthington might be their second most talented defensive player right now? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that probably would be my argument right now. I mean, I think if he continues to progress the way he has, he's the second best NFL prospect on the defense right now for sure. It's crazy. Could 
props to him for the improvement, the maturation, and all that good stuff. Buff predictor with a long-winded one here. Elrod's not going to like this. Uh, <laughs> let's begin. I have the impression that CU is using the same limited offensive playbook that we see in public scrimmages in the pre-conference schedule. How much of the less-than-stellar results is due to this versus missing Irwin and Frazier, causing discontinuity on the offensive line versus some of the players not taking these first three opponents seriously versus Montez learning on the fly versus some combination of all of the above. Also, I'm still not sold on the defense. They appear to get pushed around a bit in the trenches versus Texas State. Can you give your impression of the individual efforts in the front seven? Is this just a question of guys still learning their roles? Ooh. Let me catch my breath, Tom. Yeah. It's a lot of so verses. What are we going to sink our teeth into? Round robin schedule here. That's what that question was. Well, we might as well go from the top, I guess. Your impression that they're using limited offensive playbook is we don't know for sure, obviously. We don't get to see practice. But I assume that's correct. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, missing Irwin and Frazier is big. Irwin more so than Frazier, in my opinion. Uh, you know, Does it fix the offensive line? Probably not. But those five guys practice together all fall camp. That's your continuity. And that's important in the offensive line. Um, not taking the first three opponents seriously. There's probably some of that, but they don't have to. So I'll let you kind of work on those three as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they were disrespecting any of the opponents, but it just—I seem to be just more of a timing issue offensively. Uh, defense, I think, is where sometimes you don't take an opponent seriously and they they bite you, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it is a combination of all of the above. Montez, we've we've heard a lot in the last. Since the end of that game about him talking about learning to stay patient in the pocket, that was a huge part of it is if you're not trusting anybody around you, you're never going to get that timing offensively. And that was a big issue. Um, and it makes sense. So Steve Montez stays in the pocket. He's very patient during camp. Well, you're not, you're not live in practice, right? The first right. time you get hit, all of a sudden, it makes sense that you would kind of revert back to those high school tendencies that he had when he was running around like a, with a, like a chicken with its head cut off in those El Paso league games. You know, it makes sense. Uh, but it's, it's certainly encouraging the way he came out in the third quarter. Uh, he says he's not sold on the defense. I mean, I don't, they're not going to finish the season ranked number one in the Pac-12 in scoring defense like they're ranked right now. But I'm certainly not criticizing that side of the ball right now. Right, yeah. It's, that's a weird way to end the question, Like. I'm not sure how you couldn't be sold in the defense. If they got pushed around in the trenches, they certainly found a way to give up three points. <laughs> you know, that's pretty good. They did at times early on. And, you know, I think they woke up and were like, all right, we're not playing that well. Let's get it done. And, I, you know, they had three sacks in the first half. So, I mean, yeah. they, got, they got done what they needed to do defensively, I think. They're outside of two or three big plays for Texas State. They didn't move the ball much. So, I'm yeah, I'm not going to be the one to <laughs> – discredit anything the defense has done so far everyone's like oh they haven't played anybody yeah well a lot of teams don't play somebody there's only three in the country that have not given up a touchdown yet it's still an impressive feat less so than playing a better team i mean you're looking at like clemson hasn't given up a touchdown yet that's legitimately impressive obviously they've played auburn already but it's you know that doesn't happen that often i think they have a chance to not do it again this week that would be special the only guy in, in the front seven that has n- not met my expectations for them through two games is probably Javier Edwards. There have been too many cases where he's gotten bullied around a little bit in there. Um, I don't know. Now, he actually, you can laugh at this, but the guy he went against uh, last year's preseason all Sun Belt, so it's not like he's a scrub. Jake Bennett for CSU is really good, too. 
Um, no, they're not. I mean, they're not all conference Pac-12 guys. That's yeah, a different level. Yeah, you know, he. It's a. At times he looks really solid. At times he looks tired. I, I think we kind of talked about that a lot this year too. That's going to happen. Um, you know, we'll see once we get into conference play if it becomes a huge issue. So far, though, the rest of the D linemen have done a good job setting their ground. Yeah, Derek McCartney, you can still is, is working the rust off a little bit. And there was that one. Uh, where he was out in pass coverage way too far downhill, downfield. I don't know how that mismatch got exploited, but there was one play where you never want to see Derek McCartney 45 yards downfield. Yeah, in the end of the Texas State game. Yeah. Had, that was the second long play that I remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's probably not what you want to have happen there. Do we uh, dissect this question enough to move on, Tyler? I think so. Okay. I hope so. TKH11 asked, What are the statuses of Grant Pauley and Jake Moretti? Is either at a hundred percent. If not, at what level is each able to participate? When is each expected to be fully healthy? Are they able to do all the work in the weight room? So I asked Mike McIntyre about this after practice on Wednesday. He said Grant Polly is getting out there more and more every day. He's doing individual stuff, a little bit of team stuff, but hasn't gotten the full green light for everything quite yet. Of course, he's going to redshirt. Jake Moretti, unfortunately, is still not out there practicing yet. Um, so that's unfortunate. It does sound like he's going to be okay, but they've had to be really precautionary with him. I had mentioned in the summer that there, uh, during his rehab from that torn ACL, there was some nerve issues with, within his leg. He was wearing a walking boot. It was a scary deal for a while, but it does sound like he's going to make a full recovery. So he's redshirting with something like that. You just take your time. And he's so talented. When he finally gets it together, he'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, they have enough linemen at this point that they can throw out there. There's no need to worry about him. They can take it slow. And if he's still not ready at the beginning of next year, start to have some concerns yeah. for sure. He's not. He's losing a little bit of weight, too. You can tell he's got to get bigger. Yeah. So we'll see how it progresses. But right now, don't expect much from him. I mean, you're pro- in season's not as big as being out there for spring ball because in season you're running scout team. You're just basically going through the motions to give right. the defense a look. Spring ball is when you get a lot of that coaching, that technique stuff. So you'd really like to see him at least get back out there by then. A side note, Dylan Keeney is still not practicing with that back injury. So that doesn't sound too encouraging. I mean, he could help this team, but... Chris Bounds has done okay. I wouldn't have keyed in on him out there. He's certainly not an all-conference guy or anything. But yeah, I mean he's a freshman, right? Maybe he's a sophomore. A sophomore. Yeah, yeah, so he's got time too. Um, yeah, it'd be nice to get Keeney back healthy because I think he can be used situationally. He seems to always find himself wide open on the seam, well, at least every two or three games. So hopefully they can use that at some point. But yeah, the tight ends haven't been an issue for me so far. B to the Uffs asked, should Isaac Miller start at right tackle? Well, he has not practiced at right tackle, yeah. so you don't want to put him there. Yeah, probably not. I mean, it's people talk about you could just go on either side of the field. That's not really how it works at tackle. You're doing everything backwards, more or less, if you're moving from left to right. So you really got to get comfortable with the steps there. Uh, if you revert back to what you're supposed to be doing at left tackle, you're going to look pretty silly. If you're doing that at right in, the, in a game environment, so you really got to get those reps to make sure you're comfortable with what you need to do. Um, yeah, I mean, right tackle... I don't think would have been my main concern so far. So, yeah, Well, yeah, Aaron Hagler has not played well through two games. If Isaac Miller is starting, what you're doing is you're putting him at left tackle and you're putting Jeremy Irwin at guard. That's what they did basically at times in spring where Irwin was playing a lot of guard. Miller, in, in case you didn't notice, he actually did get his uh, first extensive game action on Saturday. He did give up a pressure, got flagged. He, his grade was 2.48 
which on CU's current O-line grading scale is categorized as average. So, and that's a very small sample of size. It's not like he was a world beater out there. McIntyre did admit that they, while they know who their top seven or eight guys and Isaac Miller would be in that group, they know who those guys are, but they haven't settled on top five yet, which I think is one of the more surprising developments this season because that starting five seemed to be pretty established going into camp. I mean, those five guys were on a poster together. When I asked Clayton Adams late in camp that, you know, do, do you have to fight complacency, kind of knowing who your five guys are, and, and he just immediately said, I'm, I will pull a guy out of there if he's not performing. So he, and I didn't quite know if I bought that 100%, but early on in the season they've been experimenting, so I, I, I guess I should now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it definitely hasn't been as uh, successful as we were looking forward to, for sure. So we'll see if getting Irwin in there kind of settles the whole deal down. Uh, but if it doesn't, I think there's got to be concern going into Pac-12 play. I think Kaiser probably kind of played himself out of being a starter, at least for right now, mm-hmm. wouldn't you think? Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, I, I think he wasn't really ever playing himself into a starter potential. They had well, Clayton Adams said he was amazing in camp. Okay, well, <laughs> whoops. But Brett Tons, <laughs> you got to give him some props. Yeah, he went in. Yeah. He fine. He looked fine, yeah. yeah. So, all right, well, let's move along. King KB asked... Two games in, Javier Edwards has struggled more than I expected. I know he's faced some quality centers, but not power five centers. You could see the guy from from space. <laughs> so it was a little surreal to see a man of that size get pushed around by Texas State. What's the issue in your eyes? Fitness, experience in the scheme, or college-level experience at the position? Is he a player you expect to take a big jump in season, or do you see this being a tough year for him all around? We kind of touched on this a little bit. In terms of why he's struggling, is there one of those reasons that jumps out to you? I mean, I would say fitness is the one. I mean, if you get tired in the trenches, you stay, start standing up, you're going to lose leverage in a hurry, and it doesn't matter how heavy you are. If you're standing straight up and somebody else is, in, you know, got their hand in the ground coming up at you, they're going to win the leverage battle, and you're going to look pretty bad. It's as simple as that. I mean, yeah, he's coming up big step in competition from junior college. I had marginal expectations for him going into the year. I think people thought he was going to be Josh Tupo. That's crazy. Um, He'll get better with time. I think that's definitely true. And as he gets more and more in shape, I think he'll get better throughout the season. So I don't think he's really in danger of losing his job. I don't think he was ever in danger of playing 90% of the snaps either. So there's going to be other guys playing that position. He asked if we expect him to make a big jump in season. I would say I expect him to make a modest jump in season. Lyle Chuiloma actually played quite a bit on Saturday, too, and he actually was out there for back-to-back series and kind of keyed on, in on him a little bit. He's Again, he's got to work on his fitness, too, but I like his potential quite a bit in, in mm-hmm. that role. Pikla asked, I w- oh, here we go, right into my, uh, my comment there. <laughs> I should have held that for another 30 seconds. Pikla asked, I was impressed with Chuiloma's play last week at nose tackle. Any chances he is our starter there by the time we face Washington? We, uh, is there anything that we did? You expect Javier Edwards to keep the job I do yeah. too. Yeah, um, Toilama's going to play, though. I mean, probably even pretty close to splits uh, snaps, I would think. So while Javier, I think, is the starter, they're going to play some other guys in that role. We kind of talked about that before the year. There's a little more of a rotation this year. Last year they played a lot of starters, a ton of snaps, more than you normally do on a D-line. This year it's going to be a little more of a rotation, try to keep those guys fresh, I think. LJ Buff 4 had this to say. Jawan Winfrey hasn't seen as many reps as I expected with him recovering from his injury still. When do you think we'll see him back in the regular rotation? I would like to see another big receiver out there with Bobo. 
Also, what sign is Twi- Lyle Tuiloma keep throwing up? What sign does he keep throwing up? I haven't even noticed that. Have yeah, you? I, yeah, I don't know. Couldn't tell you. Haven't noticed it. I'm sure we could find out, though. Next time I... Something Hawaiian. Okay. Next <laughs> time I bump into Lyle, I'll ask him about that. In terms of Winfrey, it's just tough because you're not putting Shea Fields on the sideline. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely not back to 100% yet. I think that's the main thing. Like, he was battling with Bryce Bobo a lot last year in camp, it seemed like. Um, and Bryce is healthy, and Bryce has proven himself, and Jawan's still coming back and getting that rhythm back for sure. I mean, I think he's going to get a ton of snaps in that fourth and fifth wide receiver role throughout the year. He's not going to break into the starting rotation, though, I don't think, at this point. So we'll see if he improves. He looked better in game two just running the ball, running around, than did in game one, in my opinion. Yeah. So There'll be a little bit bigger in that receiving corps next year with Winfrey and LaVisca Chenault getting more time. KB on Ento is not necessarily a big guy or a small guy. He's kind of in between there. Yeah. He's got a little length. He can catch those high point balls. Um, so they'll be, they'll be a tad bigger. They, they lose Bobo who had size though. So more DM 21 asked, how much leeway does Montez have at the line of scrimmage in changing plays and making adjustments? How does that compare to what Cepho was able to do last year in relation to that? Do you think we are holding things back offensively for Washington or because Montez isn't ready? So if they're holding things back offensively, it's because they don't need to show anything until they face Washington, more so than Montez not being ready. Um, in terms of leeway, I, I get the sense, and you tell me if you think differently, I could ask Linger in this question and see, get the answer here, but I think it's more of a reading situation where your leeway comes in right, this offense. Yeah, yeah I would agree. Um, I would say he probably has less leeway <laughs> compared to Cepho. That's, you know, Cepho started four years. That comes with experience. That's kind of what Cepho did. He, he was able to read defenses. Montez has started, whatever it is, six games now, um, only two of them as the full-time starter. So this is stuff that comes along with experience and leadership and just getting older on the football field. So I would imagine that Cepho definitely had more leeway, and I think that's totally understandable. Yeah. Elrod with a question here. Clearly you like to break out. Clearly they like to break out unique uniform combos for non-conference home games. Do you think we'll ever see the white, gray, white combo ever again? And what's both of your favorite unique uniform combinations? That combination they played with on Saturday, I never it never bothered me. It kind of grew on me more as the game went along. It looked really good in pictures. I, I kind of liked it. I, I don't think that's going to be an every season combo, but I think they bring it back yeah, at some I mean, point. Yeah, never again. Yeah, I feel pretty confident they'll come out with it at some point again. I liked it. Um, I like all of them for the most part. I mean, I think it's all fun, and you're showing off the combinations that you have. Some are better than others, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, my thi- I don't know what your definition of unique uniform combination is though so anything not traditional i would imagine yeah well that's most of them i guess i i the i don't know i'd have to look at all of them they anything with the black helmets i think anything with that is amongst my favorites my favorite is the silver black silver the kind of the raiders look that they wore they wore it against washington state last fall and i i think they're going to pull that out against washington next week because You've seen the plans for the alternating sections, which don't even get me started on that. Yeah, you didn't see my Twitter rant. Oh, no, I didn't see that. 
we're not good at the stripes. Can we stop it with the stripes? No one has silver clothes. No one cares enough outside of the student section, maybe. And it like, why is the student section not striped? They're not giving them shirts. I don't know. It's just weird. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm not a big fan of the stripes. Where This isn't the SEC. No offense to everybody yeah. out there. It, it just doesn't work out great. I'm fine with the, if you want to do a, a whiteout or a blackout, although you can't call it a blackout. I'm fine with the, kind of that uniform, but... It just, I guarantee you there's 50% of the people that are going to show up to that game and not even realizing that that was a thing for that game. Right, exactly. It's just not marketed well enough for a lot of the fan base that doesn't use social media. If you could pull it off, it's, it's like the coolest looking thing ever, but it's, in a place like Boulder, you're just never really going to be able to do that. And the stripes don't go all the way at the stadium. Like, it's alternated weird. It's just not going to work out. That's how I feel about it. Another underrated combo, in my opinion, Tyler, was the black-black-gold combo that they wore for Idaho State last year. Uh, I'd, that's one of those they probably don't put out there every year, but I like that combo as well. Well, do you like? Are you a fan of the Stormtrooper? I think that's the most uh, polarizing combo that they have. I mean, if you did all silvers, that's probably the worst. I don't like that look <laughs> yeah. at all. Yeah, that's the worst. So yes. yeah, Washington State does it all the time, and it always looks awful. Uh, so I hope we don't do that a ton. The all white's fine. Um, it's not as good as the all, all black. I like a lot. Um, I don't know. I did the black helmets. I just think look the sharpest. So any combination you can do with that, I'm always on board with. All right. NY TJ Buff fan asked, if you were to rank remaining football targets one through five, who would the top five remaining targets be? So I put together a list here, and number one was Caleb Tremblay. He's a blue chip junior college defense alignment from American River College. He already took a visit to see you in the summer. Not a whole lot of competition at all here. I mean, Alabama, just some of these other crappy schools around. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody of interest wants him at all. So, so it should, should be no problem. Should, that would be a huge get, though. And yeah. he's still talking with Colorado. Jeff Coat was at his his season opener this year, so they're doing what they can. This is tough sometimes when you make the decision to bring a junior college guy, which you can do for an official visit in the summer, but if they don't decide in the summer, that period of time that goes between mm-hmm. visits, it's, it's just some, tough sometimes to... Well, he took officials to... Three schools? Is that right? Ah, uh, that sounds right. Yeah, so I mean, there's not, he has a couple more that he can do, but he's going to have that same issue with the other two that he took as well. Number two on my list was Calvin Avery. He's a four star defensive tackle from Dallas, currently committed to Illinois, but he plans to take an official visit to CU. And it's probably because he watched Illinois play. Yeah, probably. <laughs> What's going on? I thought Lovey Smith was going to have a lot of success there. I mean, there. There, it's your one or two, two, I think, for him. Okay. There. And it's, it's going to take some time, but yeah, they are not good. So still got a chance there. Number three on my list was Houston area athlete Hassan Hippolyte. He would play safety for the Buffs if he commits to them. Houston, Texas Tech, also high on his list. He took an unofficial visit out there recently. Told me recently that he's going to be out in Boulder for the Washington game uh, later this month. Number four on my list was Oklahoma City defense lineman Israel Antwine, a former Ole Miss commit. He took an unofficial to Boulder in the summer. And he's got Oklahoma State, Arkansas, Texas, so schools after him. And then the last guy on my top five list here was Houston defensive tackle Dominic Livingston. He's currently a Texas A&M commit, but he plans to visit Boulder for an unofficial this fall. So uh, three of those guys are verbally committed somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, Texas A&M's got to be a little worried that someone's going to get fired. Um, Yep. I mean, they were tied with Nickel State in the fourth quarter last week after blowing a massive lead to UCLA. So people aren't that happy there right now. 
Uh, so you're telling me that we're going hard after defensive tackles based on, yeah, <laughs> based on yeah. that list there. That's that's the priority. There's another defensive lineman, Jeremiah Martin, a four-star guy, that said he plans to visit CU for before deciding. I would have put him on this list, but I just keep hearing USC with yeah, that kid. Yeah, I've heard pretty strongly that USC is the lean there and that yeah. if he doesn't go there for some reason, somewhere in California seems to be the front runners for him. A couple other names to throw out there. St. John Bosco, defensive lineman, Sal Spina, and Sacramento area defensive lineman, Tava Finau. Finau is actually going to be in Boulder this weekend, and I wouldn't be surprised if he commits. So that's what you want is to get some of these defensive linemen on there because that's a big uh, big kind of hole in this recruiting class right now. You need another safety as well. I mentioned Hassan Hippolyte, and I know that the staff is kind of looking across the country in the junior college ranks because mm-hmm. you're, you're losing Ryan Moeller. You're losing Afalabe Laguda. The depth there, if you look at the pipeline, is pretty scary at safety. Yep. Moving along, it looks like this is our last football question in the mailbag. O.C. Buffreak asked, After the first few weeks, there have been some surprises, good and bad, in the Pac-12. Teams like UCLA and Cal look better than expected, while teams like ASU look really bad. What teams will CU need to outscore to beat? Any revisions to predictions? <laughs> this is an interesting worded question, because I actually had UCLA finishing second in the South and ASU last. So, for me, it's worked out kind of as I expected. ASU has a brutal schedule. Their first five conference games are Washington. I don't remember the exact order, but they play Washington, USC, at Utah, Oregon, and Stanford. They're losing all of those games. So, they're going to start conference play 0-5. Were they six and zero last year, and then they went zero and six? Yeah, oh, and it was have. the same thing. They had a very easy first six games. They had a brutal last six games. <laughs> They're going to be in trouble in the Pac-12 this year. So for me, um, I'm not really surprised by ASU struggling. I figured they probably would this year. Um, I think they're better talent-wise than Arizona, but Arizona's schedule is a lot more reasonable. Um, UCLA, it's really is Josh Rosen healthy, and it, does he play well? And I think he's going to be a first-round pick. So, so far he's shown that he's pretty talented. We'll see how that plays out throughout the year. I mean, they've been up and down a little bit. They look great against Hawaii, though, and Hawaii is actually a fairly solid team this year. So we'll continue to see how that works out. Cal definitely has been better than I expected so far, so props to them. They did. I mean, they weren't super impressive against Weber State on Saturday. They were actually down early in that game. Um, He asked what teams we'll see you need to outscore to beat. Obviously, Washington State. Uh, USC, you're going to need to outscore. Washington, you're going to need to outscore. Um, yeah. UCLA, those four. Yeah, and um, yeah, I guess those are probably the four that I would see right now. It's, I think at this point you feel pretty confident that CU is maybe not the first or second best team in the conference, but somewhere between third and seventh. Yeah. My uh, rankings for the Pac-12 preseason media poll were in the north. One, Washington's two Stanford, three Washington State, four Oregon, five Oregon State, six Cal. You'd obviously switch Oregon State and Cal now. Yeah. And I'd probably put Wazoo and uh, – I don't know. I'd probably put Oregon ahead of Wazoo at this point. Yeah, Wazoo hasn't impressed so far. But, yeah, my south I had USC 1, UCLA 2, Colorado 3, Utah 4, Arizona 5, Arizona State 6. That's yeah, exactly so my, how I would keep mine it. Mine is exactly the same as okay. yours south. So, yeah, not, I'm not overly surprised by what we've seen in the south so far. We probably should have waited to answer this question because now we're jumping into your Pac-12 power rankings. We just—that's okay. That's fine. So I mean, yeah, I, 
there's not really a whole lot of controversy with this right now, I don't think. Um, Oregon State's last, they're fortunate to have a win at this point. They have basically given up in two games in the second half. Minnesota ran the ball 20-some times in a row in the second half, and they still scored touchdowns on all of their drives, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, I have ASU 11th right now. Uh, I just... I like their talent. Their schedule's brutal. I can see them kind of falling apart on Todd Graham. There's already concerns about him staying past this year. California, ugly performance this week. Still a solid win against North Carolina, even though North Carolina is not that great uh, this year, I think, it, as it turns out. Um, I, I, they're probably the most improved over my preseason expectations, though, even though I still have them pretty far down the list. Arizona, lost to Houston. It's not overly surprising to me, honestly. Houston's a solid team. I don't have high expectations for Arizona this year. Yeah, Houston was um, actually a slight favorite in that. Right, yeah. So it's not. I'm not going to crush them too much for that, honestly, because that's about where I expected them to be. Uh, Washington State, pretty fortunate there against Boise, <laughs> giving it up. Usually Boise's the one making the huge comeback, and Washington State's the one blowing it. Um, so that was an interesting game. They haven't looked good in either of their games, in my opinion, so far, though. So they've got some stuff to prove for me, especially as a team experienced as they are. Uh, Utah... They've been fine. I mean, they haven't played anybody good yet. BYU's offense is absolutely pathetic. Uh, they've proven that in three games already this year. Uh, their offense looks a little more dynamic than I expected, though. Tyler Huntley, starting him, seems to have given them a different dynamic than we've seen from Utah in the past, so that's fun. I have Colorado sixth right now. Uh, you know, they haven't really played well yet, so it's hard to put them too much higher. They're 2-0, and but... Uh, we need to see them improve if we think they're going to make a run at a Pac-12 title. Oregon has looked better so far. Uh, scoring zero points in the second half against Nebraska is a concern, though. I talked about on my betting pod that that game would tell me how I would bet them for the rest of the year, but I can't say that yeah. even remotely after that game. They looked great in the first half, awful in the second half. Uh, won a game by seven points in which the other quarterback threw for four interceptions not what you want to see. So they definitely didn't close that game like you want to see, but they beat, you know, Nebraska's a better opponent than what Colorado has beaten so far. So we'll give them the edge there. Uh, Stanford, I still have it four. USC is really talented. Giving up or giving up 600 yards for Stanford is pretty unimaginable. USC had 600 yards. That's, that's nuts. Mm-hmm. USC has a ton of talent. Their running backs look really impressive. Uh, I still feel pretty good about them long-term. Stanford will be fine. Stanford's always fine. They'll be they'll be good to go. UCLA uh, looked really good in week two. Week one, I didn't really know what to say about their opponent. You know, Texas A&M, they barely beat Nickel State, so we don't really know what we're getting from them yet. Uh, but they've exceeded expectations, so they move up a little bit more for me right now. Uh, Washington's at two. Can't, I don't think you can really argue against that. They've won two games comfortably, haven't looked great, I guess, in either of them until down the stretch in Montana, they kind of put that thing away. And then USC, I don't know how you couldn't have them number one at this point. That was a dominating performance over a really good team. Uh, After struggling in week one, they look like the clear favorites in the conference right now to me. Good stuff. Should we finish out with some basketball topics here? Let's do it. Got some news from the recruiting side of things. Dalen Coons from Denver East High School commits to Colorado on Friday night, and actually Elijah Parquet committed on Friday as well, but he didn't announce until Saturday because he had to get his graphic for his announcement, Tyler. Yeah, yeah it, big, big time these days on social media. you got to make sure you're good to go. So that was a big weekend, and uh, 
Amadou So is also on campus. We'll talk about him a little bit later. We actually got a question from HiBuff79 79A. He asked, Koontz is physically immature right now, dot, 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 redshirt. And then we got another question from the real Mizzou buff. Following up somewhat on the Koontz question asked earlier, how do you see him and the other b-ball commit parquet fitting into Boyle's offense? And can you break down the strengths slash opportunities for each player? So let's start with Daniel Koontz. We are definitely going to get out to watch him because there's not a whole lot of video on him. And when you talk to Hoops Heads, there's kind of some conflicting opinions on him. For sure. We do know he, he's a slasher. Uh, he's got decent length, but yeah, he's pretty wiry at this this point. He's undersized. Yeah, I mean, I, he fits right into the offense. This is exactly the type of kid that Tad Boyle likes, a little bit more under the radar than we're used to maybe, especially coming out of Colorado. Um, yeah, I, two years ago, I really liked him. I haven't seen him since then. Uh, from what it sounds like, he hasn't has improved quite as much as people expected over that time. People don't typically redshirt. So for, for that question, I would be surprised. Um, you know, Dallas Walton did because he's coming back from multiple ACL tears. Um, we'll see if that works out. He's got to get better. He's got to get more physical. Uh, he's got to improve his jump shot. I think a little bit not a great three-point shooter right now. Capable, but, you know, he's kind of what you see from Tad. He's a guy who can score from all three facets, a little bit more of a slasher, good in pull-up situations, can pass the ball a little bit. Do you think Dom Collier being a bust is is hurting uh, Koontz from a perception standpoint? Probably some. I mean, I don't know if Derek White should boost him then. You know, I mean, he's more similar. Well, he's to from Denver East, same high school. Yeah, There's a little bit more similarities there. Yeah, he's. I think he's more of a similar style player to Derek White, though. Now, I don't okay. think he's Derek White. I'm not going to go crazy or say that. But that's how they play a little bit more. So that's why, if you're, at, if you're wondering why Tad likes him, it, he's going to remind people of that in his game. Obviously, he's more in that immature, young stage Derek White, not the guy that we saw at Colorado. With Parquet, he definitely looks like he's more physically ready to play at the mm-hmm. Pac-12. He, uh, I think, just it came down to his rotator cuff injury, making him miss most of his junior season. Yeah. And I don't think he played in some of the big AAU events. But the people that have seen him play in the last couple months say that this kid is, is a hidden gem. Uh, I even... I don't think he's rated yet on Scout, and I know Eric Bossy on Rivals, who I respect a lot, say he's basically a borderline 150 guy based off what he saw from him in July. Yeah, um, Tad does a great job with these kind of kids, man. Guys that people just sleep on, and all of a sudden Tad's looking at him and everybody loves him. <laughs> I feel like that happens so much, especially in Texas. He does a really good job with those guys that fit his system. I like Parquet a lot. Uh, I think he can be a really special player for us. I don't think he's going to be your first or second best guy, but he can, he's your glue guy, guy that's going to f- fix a lot of your issues, help you on the wing, do all the little things that are necessary to help you win. Uh, I think he's a little bit better than he's been given credit for by the board so far. And NY TJ Buffs had a question. It seems the men's basketball team needs a big man in this class, yet I haven't seen any major targets listed or planned as visitors. Are there any big man recruits that the Buffs are high on and have strong interest in the Buffs? So, so who I mentioned earlier is a 6'9", 225-pound, three-star big from Napa Wine Country out there in California, originally from West Africa. Great rebounder, evolving offensive game. I'm told that he loved his time in Boulder and was kind of tempted to commit, very similar to Evan Batty a year ago. But like Batty a year ago, so has a trip lined up to Illinois, and I think there's some family pressure to at least go check out Champagne before he announced later this month. But 
I think things look better than 50% that he's going to be that big man they need in this class. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he just didn't know about so, but he would definitely qualify as that big man for this class, in my opinion. So. Yeah, 6'9 in college right. basketball is Yeah, is and he's big. already 225. Like, he's going to be a pretty good-sized guy by the time he gets on campus. Seems decent as a rim protector, good rebounder, a defensive guy, which is what you want in Tad's system. Um, you know, you have to be a special kind of talent like Josh Scott in order to score offensively for the Buffs. So he, he fits into what I think we want to do here. Yeah, I think the when they pulled in Wesley Gordon and Josh Scott in the same class, it maybe skewed some CU fans' perspective of that's just really atypical for yeah. college basketball to get two true big men like that in the same right, class. unless you're Duke. Which, right, right. Or not, so... <laughs> So Andre Robertson, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Derek White all returned to Boulder. They were at the football game. They kind of just continue. You see it with the TBT team as well. Just Tad Boyle doing a good job of bringing those guys back around. Does Alex Burks come around much? I don't think so. He's had a lot of injury issues, and there's obviously a coaching change there in the middle. So I'm not – he just seems like a quiet guy. Like even in Utah, he yeah. doesn't really have a social media. Uh, so I just – I don't – if he comes around, it's probably just not talked about more than anything else. Yeah, he, he doesn't seem as close to the program as some of the others, which is disappointing because he was a lot of fun to watch. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely not as involved, it doesn't sound like. It sounded like Andre Robertson was throwing a party on the hill. That had to <laughs> be a good time. Yeah, I wonder if anybody went that I know. Sounds like something Jake would do, just for coverage. And we wanted, did Andre tip well while he was a boulder? <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I don't know. All right, that was a low blow. Was, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he had a party at the house, so he didn't have to tip. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we better end it there. We, we've come up with these every week, so we don't want to go too long-winded on you. But uh, excited for next week, the Washington game. There's going to be a lot of buzz, and just it's going to be an exciting week leading up to that football Six game. Six hours of tailgating. Okay. That's what's up. Games at 8 p.m., lots are open at 2 Come find us. It's going to be fun. All right. We'll be back next week with a new show. Thanks for tuning in.